filled with information. Where do you turn to get straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money? Lock it in to the longest-running financial talk show in Arkansas and let us help you build the bridge between information and application. Real financial change begins right here, and it starts with you. It's showtime! Well, we all spend time alone with our thoughts. Some of our thinking may even ponder the what-ifs of life. On today's show, we're talking about the four what-ifs that your financial plan should answer. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. And welcome in to the Get Ready for the Future show. My name is Scott Inman, along with John Shrewsbury and Janet Walker, as we get into this show on the middle of June, what is now, I guess, officially about to be summer, and it certainly feels out like it in Arkansas. I don't know why I should be surprised every year when the heat and humidity return. It's an every year deal, but sometimes it's just a slap in the face. Well, it was really cool for yeah. spring, and then yeah. all of a sudden it just became summer. Yeah. And and I, I personally like summer. I like warm weather, and uh, it's it's okay by me. Yeah. I, you know, I spent a good bit of time outdoors in, in my youth, and so I guess I got kind of got used to it in the summer. I can handle the heat. It's the humidity that yeah. gets me, like, really bad. But I think it kind of psyched us out this year because we were in long sleeves. My pastor wore a sweater vest on Memorial Day weekend on wow. that Sunday. And, like, that just doesn't happen. And then now here we are. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I can, I can tell you, I spent a little bit of time in Arizona last year in, in the uh, late summer, early fall, and the temperature was 100. 120 degrees now there was no humidity but it was 120 degrees and and i i think i'll take the humidity in a little bit lower temperature than that higher temperature and no humidity well summertime obviously a time where a lot of people go on vacation they take a lot of time off they spend a lot of time relaxing and there's obviously a lot of time that you spend alone with your thoughts probably in those times to recuperate to re-energize i know i did that just a couple of weeks ago with my beach vacation spent a lot of time alone and those thoughts can be positive. Those thoughts can be negative. You have to keep a control on that. But many times they tend to roam into the world of what ifs. We all spend a little time doing that, don't we? And I think it's important to identify the difference of which direction you're what ifing, right? You can what if in the past. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wish I would have done this differently. But today we're going to focus a little more on the what ifs of the future. Yeah, you got to live in the future. You can't live in the past because you can't undo the past. Whatever the past is, is done, and you got to just move on. Don't look back is the old rock and roll song from Boston. You just don't look back, and you, you've got to look forward. And But you're right. I think our, our thoughts sometimes are consumed with the what-ifs of the past. Uh, this statistic from our, our crack research team here at the Get Ready for the Future show, 6,000 thoughts per day is the average human brain activity. I think I have 6,000 thoughts a minute, it seems like. <laughs> and I get confused of after about four. Yeah. So, you know, they you talk about how many, how much women talk compared to men and how many more words per day we speak. I think I would be on the same, you know, parallel as far as how many more thoughts. I think 6,000 is a low number, but yeah. regardless, it's a lot. Well, my question is, is what qualifies as a thought, you know, because a yeah. thought can last a long time because you can branch off and take it many different that's, directions or yeah. is that a new thought is that's probably new direction. a new thought yeah, yeah. yeah so well, that's I, a lot i will tell you that that when when our clients come in they have a lot of thoughts they have sure. a lot of what yeah. ifs and they have a lot of questions and that's what we're going to delve into today on the get ready for the future show is what are those questions what are the what ifs what are the things that uh you need to really be paying attention to during during your your thought process about your money and your retirement and these are all future related because you can't especially in the in your financial life cannot do anything about what has happened in the past you can't spend any time thinking about what ifs there so the four what ifs your financial plan should address that's the subject of today's show so we'll dive right on in this first segment the number one what if on our list is what if the stock market tanks in the first five years of retirement i don't get caught up in that being five years you can make that six four depending on wherever you are in relation to retirement one next month the first month uh, of retirement and that is a big concern I, I can't tell you how many times in recent uh, weeks or going back probably a year at the beginning of the pandemic when the when the market did tank, uh, albeit very briefly, it has certainly rebounded, that a client would come to us who was nearing retirement and they were way more worried about being invested in the market now than they were three or four years ago. It is natural. You, you, you've seen that big pile of money grow over the years and now you've got to spend some time thinking about protecting it. 
Unfortunately, how you do that, you may go a little overboard with with your risk tolerance, bringing it back in and getting too conservative. So let's kind of dive in, uh, talking about the risk side first of if you are all in on the stock market, or even if you have a balanced portfolio, but don't have a vibrant retirement income plan, which is what we do here at GenWealth, how that can be detrimental in retirement. I I don't like amusement park rides. Let me just be real, real <laughs> clear about that right off the bat. Janet got me on the Tower of Terror one time in, in, uh, in what was that? Uh, Universal, it, Disney, yeah, whatever. Disney anyway, World, yeah. yeah, I don't even remember where I was. So that's how scared I was. <laughs> but I think about this retirement thing, almost like I was getting on this nice looking little cart that, you know, it was going to be this gentle ride and everything. And I get set down, I get strapped in and, and the cart is approaching this curtain. And this curtain, you can't see on the other side of it. And then suddenly the curtain opens up and it's Space Mountain and it's dark and it's doing this up and down and all over the place. Yeah. And you don't know what's coming at any particular point in time. When you head into retirement, that's a problem. You've got to be prepared for it and as prepared as you possibly can be. You can't change how that that ride is going to go, but you've got to be ready for it. So let's talk about this. What if the stock market tanks in the first five years? And I would say, first of all, on all of the what ifs today, it's important to focus on controlling what you can control. You can't control whether or not the stock market tanks, maybe right after you retire. Maybe you retire in a good market and then suddenly it turns around. You can't control that, but you can control whether or not you're prepared for it. But let's look at a couple of different guys. This is James and Joe, the story of James and Joe that we've shared over the years quite a few times. They have a lot in common. They both worked for the same company. They arrived at their respective retirement dates with exactly the same amount of money inside their 401ks. They both had $500,000. They both withdrew 5% of their balance at retirement from each of their accounts to create an income for each of their families to live on. And the only difference between James and Joe was the year in which they retired. So James is 10 years older than Joe, so that means that James retired in 1966, and Joe retired 10 years later in 1976. Now, with everything else in common, you would think that they might have a comparable experience, but you have to think about, this is the what if, what if the stock market tanks in the first five years of retirement? So if that happens, what's the impact? Well, it draws down your portfolio so much that it doesn't have the capacity to come back up. Where if you retire in in a different market, and this is, by the way, this is not how we invest. This is the standard, you know, 60-40 stock yep. bond scenario. We invest in such a way so as to negate this risk. But if you do this the way most people do investing for retirement, here would be the results. So James started in uh, 1966. With $500,000, 18 years later in 1982, James is completely out of money. And Joe starts with $500,000 in 1976. 18 years later for him in 1992, he has over $1.2 million. Now, let me make the compliance department happy here with a little disclosure. This is a hypothetical example. It's not representative of any specific situation. Your results are obviously going to vary. The hypothetical rates of return are used that, that are used do not reflect the deduction of fees and charges inherent to investing. Indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Past performance is not indicative of future results. There you go. There's your disclaimer. So thank you very much. Thank you. Very nice. And so, I thought you did well when the book fell off the shelf and just I just kept, just kept rolling right on going. It. Was, yeah. I don't know what happened kind of, there. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. Was, got something going on in here. Some little book back so, there just yeah. fell off. So so anyway, the the point is you can't control whether you are James or Joe in terms of what the market is going to do, but you can have your portfolio ready for that. Yeah. And guys, if you're not withdrawing from the big one pool of money that happens to be down at the time, if you're withdrawing from a slow and steady wins the race portfolio, while you have another one that is set aside for later on, that bucket of money has time to recover before you have to get to it. Scott, this is really uh, one 
one of the three big risks of retirement, and that is the stock market giving you mm-hmm. bad returns early on in your retirement portfolio. If it does it way later, this really doesn't matter. But it's that early part of this where the math really does work against you if the market is going down and you're selling, as I like to call it, into the wind. Yeah. You're selling against a down market and you're having to sell more shares to generate the income that you're pulling out of the market. And when you have to do that, then you have the the probability of depleting your portfolio over time if you have negative returns in those first couple three years of your retirement. So a couple of times, a couple of things, the takeaways about what Janet said for me is that 60-40 portfolio. This is not an aggressive 100% portfolio right, example. Right. This is the balanced portfolio that many advisors recommend. So it, it still could uh, be exposed to, as John is talking about, sequence or timing risk in the market. The other part that stands out for me, too, is, is okay, uh, James is the one that runs out of money. At some point along that 18-year run, he may see that his portfolio is going down and stop taking out as much money, right? But think about that. He's going to have to give himself a pay cut, right? And now things are costing more. We're going to get into inflation yeah. a little bit later in the show. But do you want your retirement to look like that? A, a consistent retirement income is what most people want, and in a retirement income that's going to actually increase over time. Well, that that answer to that declining portfolio of stopping your money works on a spreadsheet. It, it stops the bleeding right. from that portfolio and gives it time to work its way back up. But it doesn't work at the kitchen table when you've got the checkbook out paying bills on a regular basis. Right. And it doesn't work at the grocery store when you walk in there and they go, oh, you, you've stopped your retirement contributions. We'll give you a discount on that, on that sack of groceries. Doesn't work that way. Well, I, I'll give you a real life example. This is not the hypothetical James and Joe, but uh, we will call her Linda. But the only thing hypothetical here is her name. The rest of this story is actually what happened. Um, there was a lady who retired at age 50 in the year 2000. Uh, if you think about it, 2000, 2001, and 2002 were the three worst years our country had seen since the Great Depression. So if you want to talk about retiring into a bad market, that's exactly what she did. But she had no idea at the time. And the way her assets were invested, there was no protection in place to give her a guaranteed required amount of income. So everything's in this pool of assets. And as the market went down and she was uh, withdrawing that income, then it began to significantly deplete her portfolio. Now, she was not our client at that time. She didn't come to us until 2007. In 2007, she was then 57 years old. She had gone from 1.3 million at the time of retirement at age 50 to 300,000 seven years later. Wow. And this is these are some little nuances in the rules, but because of her being before 59 and a half, she was still required to withdraw over $80,000 a year from this account and at least expose it to taxes. She wasn't required to spend it, but she at least had to withdraw it and expose it to taxes. Guys, that's the worst appointment I've ever had in my life because we couldn't do anything to help her. I had to literally look at her to a 57-year-old lady who had been retired for seven years and say, you're going to have to go back to work. Mm -hmm. Now, if she had started with us and used the ready-to-retire process... I 100% believe that that would have been a different experience because there's a level of income that we would have guaranteed for her and segmented those assets so that they weren't all exposed to the downturn of the market. I was just about to touch on that market segmentation thing because... You know, somebody can hear that story, Scott, and go, well, I just I'm not going to take that risk. I'm just going to go and put it in in some fixed account and earn a low rate of interest. Well, then inflation gets you. And that's where you've got to have exposure to equity. But you have to manage that exposure to equity through timing and and the things of, uh, of actually triggering income from that equity portfolio. 10, 15 years down the road. So give it time to do what it's going to do and be in a conservative mode in the money that you're going to draw in the first five to 10 years of retirement. Transferring the risk of market volatility that can cause a reduction or elimination of your income. You hear us talk about the bucketing strategy. That's a big component of the ready to retire process at GenWealth. Hey, we want to tell you before we take a break, are you on track for a successful retirement? We've got a free checkup available for you that you can find out if you are. Visit 15minuteretirement.com. That's 15minuteretirement.com. Or text the word CHECKUP to 501-381-5228 to get your free copy. We'll be back in a moment. 
I'm Scott Inman, John Shrewsbury, Janet Walker on the Get Ready for the Future show. As we welcome you back, we're talking about the four what-ifs that your financial plan should answer. That's the subject today, and we know there are more than four what-ifs, but these are the top four, we'll say, as you get ready to ponder your retirement. We talked about the average uh, adult has about 6,000 thoughts per day. We think that's a little low. Maybe maybe your way on the higher end of that. John says he has 6,000 per hour. I think that may indicate that you're a little bit uh, ADHD. But maybe, maybe just a little bit. If you get 6,000 an hour, you're not holding a thought very long. But Squirrel. If you're, th- yes, if you're thinking, it's amazing how you can do this radio show, yes. quite frankly. Uh, and and if, have a coherent conversation. Yes, which you do very well, I might add. So I know that if, if you're getting close to retirement, you're pondering the what ifs. You, you may not maybe express them the way that we have or are doing in, in the show today, but I know that it'll hit a nerve. I think that that market volatility certainly did. That was our number one. What if the stock market tanks in the first five years or first five months even? of your retirement and you're invested and you see your portfolio go down, what are the, what are the dangers, the risks there? Number two on our list is what if I live longer than expected? And I, I'm not so sure that people think about it in this exact way yeah, because uh, they probably want to live a pretty long time. I, they don't see it as a negative, but longevity is certainly a risk. Yeah, it, it is funny because we, we don't think about longevity as a risk. But what goes along with longevity that really is the risk is you live so long that you run out of resources to pay for whatever expenses you have. Well, I, and, and I think most people tend to think, ah, I'm not going to live that long. It's not going to be that big a deal. Mm-hmm. That's where we hear that a lot of times. It's very cavalier. Ah, I'm, not, I'm not worried about that. Yeah. I'm not going to live yeah. that long. But you know, I remember a time when I was thinking I'd be lucky to live to 35, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and doing the crazy things I did, you know, in, in high school and college <laughs> no and details, what have you. No no, yeah, we're not going to talk how about How you that. live has a part of how you yes, feel about that. But, you know, you've got to think about the fact that you could live to into your 90s. And, and there is a lot going on as far as medical advances and things yeah. of that nature are concerned that is really giving you a real good shot at living a long time. We actually have a graph to share with those of you who are join us, joining us visually through Facebook. Um, we have a graph to share about how life expectancy is really increasing, and you see a pretty significant increase here over the years. This is, uh, by the way, from the UN. Now, we do have a little bit of a, a downturn because of COVID, um, but otherwise, you see it generally increasing when we look at life expectancy from birth. And and guys, I, I'll say I've been doing some studies recently that has really focused on longevity and life expectancy from birth compared to life expectancy from age 65 it's very different because there's a lot of things that can happen to you between birth and age 65 that you may not get to 65. That but, was what I was but, talking about, about not living yeah, to 35. Exactly. But if you make it to 65, you are far more likely to make it to 85 than if you had just been compared to other people at birth, at the time of your birth. When you make it to 65, you're probably going to make it to 85. And I, I know I've, I've shared this story several times about my grandfather when he turned 79 like on his birthday he was just depressed which was totally not him didn't fit his personality at all and i finally got him to tell me what was going on and he said honey i i figure i just had my last birthday because my daddy died when he was 79 and he could not you know as much as i respected him and saw him as you know this almost perfect person you know he couldn't wrap his brain around being older than his dad had lived to it Mm -hmm. was just impossible for him to think about but he was here and healthy another nine years Mm -hmm. and so what if he had planned financially to not be here after 79. And the other part of this, too, is when you talk about an income plan for your retirement, most of the time we're talking about a household income. Yeah. So if you have spouses involved here, so think about the chances that you're going to live to 85, or at least one of you yes. is going to live to 85. That Those chances even go up. So the income has to continue to be there. So to go back to James and Joe, right, one of those guys, James, was out of money in 18 years. Well, depending on when he retired, that's probably long before he might have actually, uh, his life ended, right? Right. So you've got to have a perpetual income plan that lasts as long as you do. And I'm fond of saying this in the client meeting room. A lot of people do tell me that. I'm not going to make it to 80. Mm -hmm. Well, do we want to not plan for you to reach age 90? And you do. 
or do we want to plan for you to reach age 90 and you don't? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's much yeah. better to plan for yeah. it and not happen <clears throat> Absolutely. than to plan, not plan for it and it does. Yeah, you have to think about this just like a, a rubber band. You know, if you pull a rubber band, it'll it'll get more and more tense and what have you. And as, as you get older, it's putting that strain on your finances. Right. And you've got to be able to, to have enough elasticity there, if you want to think about it that way, to provide for income for you for as long as you live. So let's talk about how we do that here at GenWealth. One of the things that we look at here at GenWealth is your what we call your required income. This is your floor income, if you will. Think about a foundation in a house. You want it to be very solid, very secure, very stable. You want the income that that uh, takes care of your basic needs of life to be very sound, very stable, very predictable, very regular coming into your bank account. So we take a look at what those needs are. We analyze those needs and, and calculate that and get a number. And then we increase that number for taxes because you have to pay the tax on qualified money in order to net enough to meet your required expenses. And then we simply take a look at how much you have in Social Security and pensions and subtract off of that and any other regular, predictable, dependable income that you might have. And then we t- uh, determine whether there is a gap between the need and what you have. And if there is, then we look to your assets, your 401k, uh, IRAs, things of that nature, and try to determine, okay, how much of that money do we need to dedicate to a guaranteed income product that will fill that gap? So we're trying to basically uh, cement in, if you will, the, the guaranteed income to meet those predictable guaranteed expenses that you're always going to have in retirement. And the investment product that allows for that to happen or or creates that guaranteed income stream is an annuity. And that's the word that I love to say in a client meeting room and watch how they (laughs) respond to because it's going to go one of two directions. Most people have a pretty strong opinion one way or the other of an annuity. But if you start talking to them about why they feel the way they do, so let's take the the, the negative example because a lot of people will bristle when they hear that word. Their concept of an annuity is a very broad stroke, something they've heard on some TV ad that rails against all annuities and as if all annuities are bad and all annuities are not created equal. So we want to spend a little time in this segment talking about the differences. Yeah. So we don't believe that any product is inherently good or bad. It is a question of how you use a product. I I had uh, my other grandfather had a tool for every job he had ever done because, you know, you you don't use a hammer for the purpose of a screwdriver, etc. Whatever the job is, there is a specific tool to be used. And if he was doing a job and didn't have X tool, whatever it might have been, he would go to the store and get it and come back and finish the job. The same concept is true of annuities. There are annuities that might be fabulous for your neighbor and horrible for you, or even features of an annuity that the annuity itself utilized in one way for you might be excellent and utilized in another way might be to your detriment. So it's really a question of personalizing. And I'll go back to what John said earlier. It comes down to, do you need one or not? Do you have enough guaranteed income? And that only comes from Social Security, pensions, and annuities. Those are the only places that you can get a guaranteed income stream for your life. So do you have between Social Security and pensions enough income to cover what you have to have in required expenses. If you have that, you don't need an annuity. But if there's a gap, you need an annuity to cover that gap. Scott, let me say this about uh, differing opinions to us about the annuity subject. I'm not I'm not against differing opinions. I'm against stupid opinions. And <laughs> and stupid opinions are those people that say blanket this is always bad and this is always good or this is always bad and this is always good. That's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. There, there is no analysis going on there at all. There's no looking at the facts and going, okay, let's analyze this and see if we happen to need something. I just don't understand how people get boxed in on a particular subject like that and say, always an annuity is bad or always a mutual fund is bad or whatever the case may be. Anybody that has such a hard left or hard right, however you want to think about that opinion about that, you need to run from that because I can almost guarantee you that that opinion is wrong. 
I'll I'll just go ahead and talk about by name two of the loudest voices in this arena. Um, one of them is Susie Orman, and she is just blatantly against annuities. And the issue that we have with that is what she doesn't tell you is that when she was a financial advisor with Merrill Lynch in the state of California, she was the number one writer writer of annuities in the entire state. That tells me that what she's saying now that comes across as a popular opinion is very disingenuous on her part. At one point, she fully believed in them, and now she's fully against them. That's not okay. So, and the other situation, this is someone whom I I have a tremendous amount of respect for, frankly, but we disagree on this one point, and I think it is more due to the change in the product line than anything else. Dave Ramsey talks about owning some annuities for non-qualified money. That means non-tax deferred money. He owns some personally, but he He says never, 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 never own them in an IRA. Well, that tells me that he's only looking at it for the benefit of tax deferral. Guys, we hadn't even talked about tax deferral up here today. That's not the benefit that we're looking for because most Arkansans are looking to use an annuity with their IRA money for required income. When we're dealing with you, we're trying to solve for required income. And if all you have to put into the investment is IRA money, he's right. It's not going to give you any additional tax deferral but it will give you a guaranteed income stream. And that's what we're solving for. In the way that we're utilizing it, it's not about the taxes. I have said... If I had 30 minutes with Dave, he'd change his mind on this because it's, it really is the nature of the changing, it's the changing nature of the product over the years. They used to not come with a guaranteed income stream. Now they do. I, I want to sell tickets to that conversation because I know how stubborn she is, and I also know <laughs> how Dave stubborn is, Dave is, and but, I, I'd like to sell tickets to that that event. But what's the John? What's the name of the the Alliance for um, Lifetime Income? Lifetime Income. income. Yeah. They have actually met with Susie Orman and with Dave Ramsey, and and Dave has come a long way in his position on this. You don't see, you don't hear him being quite so hard against annuities now. He's come a long way in getting with them to understand the truth benefit of annuities and the purpose that they serve yeah i'll just very quickly say if it's blanket advice it probably shouldn't apply to you yeah all right so that is the what if number two what if i live longer than expected we'll continue with the what ifs that your retirement plan should address after this For what ifs that your financial plan or your retirement plan should answer, that's the topic of today's Get Ready for the Future show. And we were talking in the last segment, our number two what if was, what if I live a long life? Your money has to last as long as you do in retirement. And we spent a good portion of that segment talking about annuities and some education components to that. If you'd like to learn more or you want some, you have some more questions about annuities or anything we're talking on this show, we're always just a phone call away. The ready-to-retire process of building a retirement income plan for you is also just a phone call away. You can call 501-653-7355 or toll-free anywhere, 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You know, we're in three states now, Genwell Financial Advisors, so we have to get that 866 number in play there. We don't know where, and we're live streaming too. Somebody could be anywhere. So you can use that toll-free number, 866-653-PLAN, to find out a little bit more and to schedule your first appointment with the Genwell Financial Advisor, which is always complimentary. I always want to point that out. You can also reach out via email. Uh, Just send an email to info at getreadyforthefuture.com. So our number three what if is what if my spouse or I have major health care needs. And this is going to go a couple different directions. There's the health care component of it, uh, health insurance and coverage, but there's also long-term care. And we're going to talk about both, obviously both around your health. But according to the to DHHS, half of Americans turning 65 today will develop a condition severe enough to require long-term care. That means it's highly likely that at least one person Uh, One spouse in a couple, and remember we talked about the plans are going to need to have income for both spouses, will need this type of health, uh, this type of help, I should say. So it really boils down to how are you going to address it? I say in the client meeting rooms quite frequently, guys, this is the elephant in the room. It's Mm -hmm. something that nobody really is very comfortable talking about, and I get that, uh, but they are many times aware of it. 
and it has to be addressed in your overall financial plan. Let me give some perspective on this problem. Uh, I, you know, you're right. People are burying their heads in the sand and, or they're saying falsely that the government's going to take care of me. Let me be very blunt. If you have any money at all, you're likely not to qualify for Medicaid until you spend all of that money completely down. And the chances of you having a healthy amount of money and spending it completely down are pretty slim. So don't count on Medicaid, which is a pauper's state program, to take care of your health care needs in retirement or in late in life. Here is the, the, the real uh, truth of this whole issue of long-term care insurance. Back during the Obama administration, the president actually got a law passed through Congress to implement a long-term care health insurance program that would go alongside Medicare and cover a significant part of long-term care needs for nursing home, home health care, and that type of thing. And this is the first time that I've ever seen Washington do this. They had this program up and running, and they went, holy crap, that's too expensive. Yep. We're shutting it down. I mean, you think about the the baby boomer generation, you know, they've changed so many things for us along the way. They're the reason we have fast food places. They're, yes. You know, all of these products and business lines that developed over the years, and they are changing the long-term care industry as yes. well. And it's critical that we understand that. And and you're right, John, the, the government is not going to come in and pay for your care. And if they do, it's only in a Medicaid situation. And what you have to spend down to is $2,000. If you think about, you know, most Social Security checks are going to be close to that. So basically, every month you got to empty your account, you know. And so if you've got a few hundred thousand dollars, you're going to go through that. And guys, what concerns me the most is the surviving spouse. Yeah. Because if yeah. you if you pay for care for one spouse, you don't have the option. They they need to have care. You can't care for them at home anymore, or maybe even they have to have in-home care. But it is an absolute necessity that you pay for some level of care. You begin to deplete your portfolio, and then when they pass away, what does the surviving spouse have left? And in some cases, it is a very dark story. We don't want you to be in that situation. We do believe that long-term care is not right for everybody. Not everybody needs to have it. But I do believe that everybody needs to make an intentional decision about it. So it is a process of going through and looking at what assets do we have? Do we have the capacity to self-pay and a surviving spouse still be fine in their income needs or not. And if we can't self-pay, then do we have the capacity to pay premiums? And, and what does that look like? Well, and, and that long-term care story that is uh, is not taken care of, if it's not provided for through long-term care insurance or something of that nature, then the burden either falls to the surviving spouse or in a lot of cases to the kids. Yeah. And, and you see a lot of heartache go on about you know, okay, you know, most kids, if, if there are, are several children uh, of a family, then, you know, some are, are doing better than others. Yeah. And how do we pay for this? And what's equitable? And, and uh, well, I, I don't have the money to pay for it. And he makes a whole lot more money than I do. And you get into these family squabbles, and it just really creates all kinds of problems that could have been avoided if someone had just been, you know, responsible to step up and say, I'm going to take care of my own health care needs. I'm going to buy long-term care policy. We say it all the time on the show, and, I, I, and it's so true and brought out in, in our discussion here that the investment strategy and the products that we use at GenWealth are determined only after the planning process. The plan comes first, and the plan determines what products and investment strategy you need. The same is true here because of what Janet just said on the long-term care insurance yeah. question. Do you need insurance or can you self-insure? What's going to determine that is after we build a retirement income right. plan. Is the monthly income, are your assets going to generate enough monthly income that if one spouse or both spouses need long-term care, won't run you out of money because it's generating that monthly income that's going to cover that. But if it's not, and let's be clear, most of our clients, many of our clients are in that camp where they're in the yeah. middle. They, they have assets, so Medicaid's not an option, but self-insuring may not be either. Then doesn't it make sense to look towards an insurance company to leverage some of that cost? So now we're going to talk a little bit about how we do that, right? So yeah. how are you uh, your options to do that? 
the traditional long-term care insurance policy is use it or lose it, right? You pay those premiums and it's only that you're only going to receive a benefit if you need long-term care. So now here you have to consider the other side. We've talked about how there's a likelihood that you will need long-term care, but what if you don't? What if you have a heart attack or you have a stroke and you die suddenly? Then you've spent those premium dollars and never gotten a benefit out of it. And oh, by the way, those premiums do tend to go up over time. Mm -hmm. And that's a real challenge too, Janet. You've had a personal impact on that. Yeah, my mom has a traditional long-term care policy. And let me be clear, I'm glad that she has it. And at the time, it was the only type of policy that was available. So we're we're blessed that she has that in place. But because it is a traditional long-term care policy, then the premiums have gone up three or four times now. And also, you know, if she passes away, from a heart attack, there will never be a benefit paid out from it because it is strictly for long-term care. The third point that's different than what we do now is that it is a reimbursement policy. So let's say that she needs care, she's in a facility, my brother and I will have the responsibility of making sure that the bill gets paid and then filling out the paperwork to get the reimbursement from the policy. What we do now, guys, from a change in the industry, basically the industry realized that, you know, not enough people were getting coverage and so they needed to change how they do this. So now, and this is not what we do for everybody. There are different types of policies, but this is one that we use quite a bit. It is a actually a life insurance policy with a rider on it to cover extended care expenses. And it could, once it starts paying, it could be used to pay somebody to mow your yard. It doesn't have to be utilized necessarily for care, it's going to just start paying that out. So it's not a reimbursement. Because it is a life insurance policy, the premiums are going to be locked in. And because it is a life insurance policy, if you die from a heart attack, it's going to pay. So somebody's going to get that pool of money, whether it is all utilized to pay for care or all utilized as life insurance or a combination of the two. That entire pool of money is going to pay out. And we just think that that is a good conversation to have. Again, it doesn't fit for everybody, but I believe it is critically important to be intentional about making the decision. And a lot of people just don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, that that's that's the problem here is that, that nobody likes to think about dying. Nobody thinks likes to think about having to have long term health care in your home or in a nursing home or anything of that nature. But I want you to stop and think about will there be a time in your life where you go, Man, I maybe should appeal back a little bit on the trips and the vacation when I retired and maybe spent, you know, three or four hundred dollars a month on a long term term care policy so now I can live out the rest of my days in dignity and independence. I believe that is a critical thing for a lot of people that they're just kind of whistling in the dark, hoping that they don't have an issue. And Scott, as you said earlier in the show, you're looking at about a 50% chance of somebody in your household needing some type of long-term care, and it is very expensive. So we've got uh, a couple of minutes left, I think, to, to wrap this discussion up. I think the win, addressing the win, yeah. is very important here. Typically, and the industry actually uh, leads with this, the window is 55 to 60 years old. So it begins to get a little more cost prohibitive after age 60. If you do it very soon before 55, you could also, you could just assume you could throw those premium dollars into the market and grow your own mm-hmm. long-term care bucket. However, there are, I think, exceptions to this. Yeah. And Janet, you're good at talking about this, that health, your own personal health yeah. matters just as much or more than that 55 to 60 year old window. It, it absolutely does. I, I, you know, the industry now has come back to that 55 to 60, but they used to just say, hey, age 60, go get it. And you never heard 50 anything. And I had a a gentleman that I frankly kind of nagged about getting coverage. And I don't do that. That's not the type of person I I am. But I just had this burning feeling that he needed to do it. And he came in, he just finally told me, we're not going to talk about this anymore. I'm not doing it. He came in a couple of years later for his review and he was talking funny. I thought he had had a stroke. He actually had Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm. And, And so then I understood why I had that nagging feeling that I just needed to talk to him about it. But he was 57 or 58 at the time. Um, And, you know, what kind of a difference would having that policy in place have made for them? It's a a game changer. Um, But they didn't have it in place. And so
so it just is what it is at that point. But I would encourage you, you know, from 55 to 60, somewhere in that range, and again, like Scott said, pay attention to your personal health. Get your question answered about whether or not you want to have a plan in place. Again, addressing long-term care, just a component of the GenWealth Ready to Retire process. If you'd like to begin walking through that, it's a phone call away, 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526, or just shoot us an email, info at getreadyforthefuture.com. We are three segments into the Get Ready for the Future show, our final what-if that every financial plan should address next If you missed any of today's Get Ready for the Future show, we're always available on podcasts, and you can check out all of the four what-ifs that your financial or retirement plan should answer. We're going to finish up with the final what-if in this segment. It is, what if prices rise in retirement? But you can pretty much pull the what-if off of that. This is almost a guarantee, right? What we're going through right now with inflation ought to tell us that. Now, We've got a great fastest four on inflation. We've, I feel like we've been talking about inflation all spring on yeah. the fastest four, but different elements of it. But if you haven't signed up for fastest four, do that by going to fastestfor.com. It's a short, less than four minute video uh, on market or economic related topics uh, that comes right to your email inbox. So it's a great resource. Uh, and we're talking about inflation again. So I won't go into all of that, but everybody knows it's real. It's happening. Uh, we're, we're seeing different areas of the economy really spiking with prices. So I think everybody believes in inflation. There's no question about it. And it's going to happen through your retirement. You think about a 20, 25 year uh, retirement. You wouldn't go through 20 or 25 years at a job without getting a raise. You'd go find another job. Well, you can't go through a 20 to 25-year retirement without giving yourself a raise in income. So this is the balance, I think, guys, to our first what-if. The first what-if was, what if the stock market tanks in the first five years of retirement? That shows you you can't be all in on the stock market. But what if prices rise during retirement tells us we have to, with a component of our assets, be invested still in the market? Yeah, you do. And I I think you have to really kind of qualify this in in thinking about inflation. Let's take a a cup of coffee today. If you spend $2 on a cup of coffee today with just a 3% inflation rate, that same cup of coffee 20 years down the road is going to cost $3.81. Now, $1.81, that's not that much money. That is nearly a 100% increase in the cost of that coffee. Inflation is happening. It always has been happening. It always will happen. If you are going into retirement on a fixed income, then you're losing money because prices are going up and you can't meet your needs with that same dollar amount that you started. That's one of the objections that I have to most traditional pension programs that do not have an inflation adjustment on it. The first check you get is the best check you get, and it's the worst check you'll get. It always is the same dollar amount of money, and there's no way to offset that economic phenomenon of inflation. You know, Social Security does have a level of cost of living adjustment in there, but um, a lot of that winds up getting eaten up with your Medicare premiums. So we want to be sure that outside of your Social Security income that you are addressing inflation because we know it's a reality. It's not a possibility. It is a reality. It's going to happen. And guys, I was I was working on a case um, earlier this year and putting together a plan for this couple. And when they came to us, they were 100 uh, percent in all cash like instruments, money markets, that type of thing. So not having a toe in the market at the time. But they had a significant amount of money. And we just wanted to illustrate to them, okay, what does this look like? If you decide to go through retirement with all of your assets in cash, what does this do for you? Because they were terrified of the market, frankly. And so we started talking about inflation risk as a reality and just kind of set the stage for them to understand that. But when we plugged this information in, they literally, if they were to stay in their current allocation, all in cash-like instruments, they literally had uh, on the Monte Carlo simulation, which is, you know, a thousand different scenarios, They had zero probability of success in retirement. They were absolutely going to run out of money. When we changed the allocation to how we would normally do it, so there's still a cash element, but there's also some element of growth as well. And this was really even on the conservative side of what we normally do. They went from 0% probability of success to 96% probability of success. So you may be sitting in cash thinking that you're playing it safe, 
when you're really in the most dangerous place you could be. Janet, a, a reduction of your purchasing power uh, could be as much as 50% over your lifetime. Yeah. And that's that's a loss you just cannot recover from. Uh, and so there are a couple of things that, that I can absolutely assure you, if you come to Wealth Financial Advisors and you work with us, you're going to get definitely two things. One is going to be a written financial plan. We like to call it on paper, on purpose. The second thing that you're going to get is a retirement income plan that increases your income over time throughout your lifetime to keep pace with the rising cost of living. It's just irresponsible to plan otherwise. And and I think a lot of times uh, when people make recommendations about investment products, they don't even think about the yeah. inflation factor. That's not even a point of discussion. Right. Uh, they, they just don't account for it. We're going to do that every time. Here's the difference. A successful retirement plan is not about avoiding the market. It's about avoiding market volatility. Yes. Right. With the money, as we talked about in the first segment, with the money that you're spending in the early years of retirement in safer, more conservative investments. Equities are long-term investments. When you look at the S&P 500 as an example, and that's not the overall market, that's just an index that cannot be directly invested into, but the short-term risk of loss is very real. Historically, on a rolling one-year period, the S&P has demonstrated a 75% chance of showing a positive return. That means a 25% chance of a negative return. But if you go out 10 years, you see that history shows us that the threat of a negative return on a 10-year rolling basis is less than 6%. And 16 years, which is where we're going to have that bucket of money position that's in equities, history indicates that there's never been a 16-year rolling period of negative returns on the S&P 500. And, and to clarify, you talk about avoiding market volatility. We're not avoiding the volatility itself. We're avoiding withdrawing from the account that is exposed to that volatility. Right. And and so it's okay if, if you go through a 2008 and the market is down – if it's the pool of money that you're not going to use for 15 years, that's okay. It Give it time. Let it do its thing. Give it time to come back up. Because if you, if you use 2008 as an example, here we are now. Really, the low point was in March of 2009. So we're a little over 12 years after that low point. We still wouldn't be in that bucket of money if you had mm-hmm. retired at that point. So right. it's had plenty of time to come back up. And it has. Did, yeah, and it has. <laughs> and it's, it's done a good job at come, coming back up. So you wouldn't have to withdraw from that bucket in a time of volatility. The thing we look at in that particular segment is what's the consequence. Right. There is very little, if any, uh, consequence to investing for the long term in equities and letting it sit there. The only consequence might be you might be a little bit queasy about the seeing the account value go up and down as the equity market goes up and down. But if you don't need that money, if you don't have a plan to take that money and put it in your pocket and spend it, then you can let it ride. And as you went through that very well, Scott, in the in the 16-year history, uh, there's never been a 16-year period of time uh, in historical uh, terms that we've seen a negative return on the market. And so when you think about it that way, you go, okay, I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to let it do its work. And you will get a positive return in that money, more than likely that will help you to keep pace with inflation. So what's the plan? The plan at GenWealth is the is the one that addresses the what ifs that we've talked about in this show. It is the GenWealth ready to retire process. It addresses all these questions that we've talked about today seven key areas to your plan. We've talked about some of them already. Uh, You're going to get a written plan on paper on purpose in a three ring binder presented to you so that you know the purpose of everything that we're doing, everything that we're recommending. You've got an investment strategy as a key area, social security maximization. We talked a lot about that in last week's show, creating guaranteed income to meet your basic needs. If there is a gap in your required income need, protect against inflation, as we've talked about in this segment, and providing for lifestyle income, desired income, above and beyond the discretionary part, what truly gives you financial independence. It addresses the long-term care needs, as we talked about as a what-if in today's show. Taxes during retirement, that's addressed in your written plan, something we didn't have time for today. And again, it's all put together in a documented written plan that is presented in a three-ring binder. You take home with you, you bring it into your annual review, and we update it once a year at a minimum. Yeah, and I think that is really the key. Having a plan 
going into retirement, you're well armed. You, you have that written plan. You're well armed for whatever may come. If you don't have that plan, all you have is, is a, a stack of investments, then it's come what may. And, and that's not really a way that I think most people want to think about the financial security in the rest of their life. Way to lead right into that bell, John. I could tell you <laughs> knew it was coming. Yep. Just a few more words. I had to throw it out there. <laughs> it is time for our final thoughts. And Janet, we'll start with you. So let's talk about those four what ifs and recap for today. The four what ifs your financial plan needs to address. What if the stock market tanks in the first few years of my retirement? What if I live longer than expected? What if my spouse or I have some major health care needs? And what if prices rise in retirement? My question to you is, do you have a personalized plan on paper, on purpose, to address the what-ifs of retirement? Scott, my final thought is there's probably a number of other what-ifs that you yeah. may have about your plan. That's the beauty of the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process is that it is customized directly to you. Uh, we're not going to give you some cookie cutter solution to your retirement needs. We're going to talk about you and your needs and your wants and your desires, and we're going to work through that. We're going to address these four what ifs of retirement because they are a big question about your retirement. They're very general, but we're going to get specific with you in that ready to retire process and get you that written plan. To get that plan, Plan and get that planning process started, you can call 866-653-PLAN. Easy to remember, right? 866-653-7526 or send us an email, info at getreadyforthefuture.com to begin walking through the ready to retire process. And it costs you nothing to come in for that first appointment. It's a, a complimentary initial appointment with a Gen Wealth financial advisor. My f- final thought in today's show is a reminder about our free retirement checkup. So another opportunity for you here to learn about your probability of success for retirement. This is more of a a, a broader view. So it's not really the planning process, but it gives you an, a jumping off point, an idea. You can get that by visiting 15minuteretirement.com. That's 15minuteretirement.com. Or a very easy way to do it is just text the word checkup to 501-381-5228. We're out of time for this week's show. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building toward financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The Gen Wealth financial team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. GenWealth Financial Advisors is an Arkansas-registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC.